Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, we've got lots of wonderful tennis to talk about today on the Tennis Podcast because Ash Barty's going to play Arena Sabalenka in the final. Can't wait to talk about how they got there and to preview it and to talk about everything that's gone on in the men's tournament today. Um, but we've just been talking about perceived wisdoms. And I've just learned one from Matt Roberts about the length of his hair um, and and how he got it, which which has amazed me. What was it again? What's the vegetable that you, you've been eating that has made your hair grow incredibly quickly, Matt? Look at that facial expression from Catherine. She didn't well, expect the podcast just, to start like this. Just definitely not perceiving it to be a wisdom. <laughs> are we recording? <laughs> we are, yeah. Matt, come on. Mm. Well, Listeners need to know this. I was told that broccoli, eating broccoli makes your hair grow quickly. But Catherine's very, very sceptical of that notion. Well, I I eat quite a lot of broccoli, Matt, and my hair grows very slowly. Right. I eat quite a lot of broccoli and my hair grows quickly. But (laughs) David, a tiebreaker? I'm the tiebreaker. David doesn't eat broccoli. And and don't worry about giving a good answer because no one's listening (laughs) anymore. So take your time. Um, Yeah, well, I eat a normal amount and I've got a normal hair grow (laughs) length. So, um, yeah. That's how we're starting this show. So, how's your day been, Catherine? Uh, yeah, it's sort of relatively normal up up until the last few minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, w- watched tennis, talked about tennis, came home, talking about tennis again. Great on on the telly. Uh, yeah, and and that's um, Matt has been doing other things other than just assessing his hair length. <laughs> Um, he's been been watching all these tennis matches. Let's start, first of all, before we get on to all the great stuff, let's talk about the thing that really needs a, a mention in terms of watching this tournament on the telly. And as much as I'm loving this tournament, and I really am enjoying the matches, when I can see them properly, when all of the court is in view and not a third of it or various squares and rectangles of it are in basic darkness and the rest of it is in glaring blazing sunshine i'm talking about the shadows i don't think there is a tournament in the world with a bigger shadow problem than madrid catherine discuss possibly in all of sport um i mean i don't think there's ever been a bigger shadow problem in in i mean it's it's it is on it is unwatchable there are yeah there are there are periods of the day on certain courts if the weather is sunny that unfortunately the tennis is is unwatchable um and i i don't know enough about stadium design and architecture to know if that's a a ball dropped in construction the whether the the whole thing should have been built to face in a different direction or angle should have been considered more carefully um, or whether it's just one of those things that's bad luck and you have to deal with. But it it is a, a big problem. I, I, you know, 
as lots of people have been saying on Twitter, the whole point of this tournament is for people to be able to watch it. And the majority of the people watching it, their experience is hampered at certain points of the day. And that's very suboptimal. Um, a lot of people would argue they should be pulling the roofs across on the courts where they can. And I understand the reluctance but I think I come down on the side that they should, that it's so severe and so diminishing of the watching experience that they sort of should push the extreme buttons where available to solve the problem. Yeah, I mean, it's it's real dark side of the moon vibes. <laughs> I mean, when you look at it, it looks like half the court is in total darkness and you can't see anything and it it reaches the stage where it influences which match I want to watch. The match has to be really, really great to be on one of those courts for me to watch it. And I just think that's a that's a terrible situation for a tournament to be in, hoping to pick up some casual fans. I just think it's such a turn-off. It's so tennis shooting itself in the foot, isn't it? Here's a brilliant match. I can only see one of the competitors involved in it. <laughs> And I, I can only see the ball 50% of the time. Matt, quickly note this down for end of the <laughs> yes. year awards. Um, for shooting itself in the foot moment. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I'm not saying I've got all, all the solutions to it in terms of uh, where they should put these stadia. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's been laughable at times. Um, however, fortunately, the actual tennis that we have been able to see has been of such quality and there's so many intriguing, interesting storylines out there that I'm loving it anyway and and laughing at the, the, the absurdities of the shadows. Let's talk about this um, this women's draw and where we are in it at the moment because here we record just before midnight on Thursday night and we have this very strange situation where we know the women's final and yet the men are just entering the quarterfinal stages um, because of this staggered start, which again, it, we've, we talked about it the other day. It's, it's a very weird situation and, uh, and I'm not really ideal. I don't think, um, but the actual matches we've had and the matches that we still have to come really make the mouthwater. I think um, Barty today, I didn't see a lot of it. What were the, the views that you took from it, what, what did you think of what Barty put up today against Paola Badosa? I thought it was, I thought it was very impressive. She, I don't feel like she ever had to reach top top gear. She was challenged more in the first set than she was in in the second. It was funny seeing her play with the crowd against her, um, and quite vocally against her. You know, Paola Badosa is an incredible story. First Spanish woman ever to reach the last four in Madrid. Um, we've, I think we've talked in the past about what a, a weird, horrible time Garbini Muguruza's already always had at that tournament. Um, but yeah, that was a stat that surprised me. And doing so as a wild card, you know, she's a she's a, a great story, Paula Bedosa, and she she was quite inspired in that first set, I thought. But she's such a problem solver, Barty. She's got so many tools, and she trusts herself to sort of figure out how to use them. And which ones to deploy? And she she'd lost to her in Charleston, and I think her team had really done their homework. I think, you know, having the slice that she does, but also having a a decent topspin backhand, she's able to tinker with the proportion of each that she uses during a match, and that's that's the weapon that most tennis players just don't have or don't have to that extent. She's more tactical than most other players, I think. And yeah, it's one thing having the options. It's another thing knowing how and when to use them. See Denis Shapovalov, for me, that's the issue with him. Shot selection, deployment, tactics. It's not, it's not, the lack of weaponry. He's, he's got almost too much at his disposal. Um, she's got the shots and she's also got this fantastic ability to know how to use them. And that's going to be such an interesting foil to Sabalenka because in sort of pure tennis striking terms, nobody can come 
anywhere near her. I mean, nobody wants to come anywhere near her because, you know, you just, just honestly, just run for cover when she's in town. Run for cover because it is, it's scary what she's doing to tennis balls. But can Barty thwart her tactically somehow? I, it's, it could not be more fascinating for Saturday's final. What do you think, Matt? Um, we, you've seen not only the, the Bedosa match, but also the Kvitova match, which was a three-setter. That that match took place since we last spoke. And yeah, Barty seems to, at the moment, have had, over the last couple of weeks, and the last few weeks, an answer to everybody. No matter what they are, and there's lots of different styles. We've seen Sora beat Igis Fiontech. We've seen her beat Kvitova now, now Bedosa. And we've seen her beat all these others. She beat... Um, Sabalenka in the Stuttgart final the other week. She's had an answer to everybody. Um, how's she doing this? And, and, and is is it beatable at the moment, do you think? Gosh, I mean, that is the question. Can Ash Barty be beaten? I think if anyone's going to, it probably will be Sabalenka in these conditions. Um, I, I'm thinking of the final they played in Stuttgart. And Barty won it in three sets, but... Sabalenka won the first set and seemed to pick up an injury and turn that match quite weird. Her, her level completely fell apart for about half an hour and that was enough for Barty to really get a foothold and take over. If Sabalenka can do what she did in that first set, I think she might be the only one who can actually just have too much overwhelming power, even for Barty. Um, I think... I think Barty's serve is going to be so important. I mean, lots of the pundits on Prime Video this week are picking up on how well Sabalenka is returning. You know, she's sort of not giving opponents a chance to set themselves after they've served and the ball's back at them or past them even. Sabalenka's hit, I think, over 140 winners in this tournament in five straight sets matches. But Barty has a serve that I think can perhaps neutralise that Sabalenka return a little bit and keep the ball low, keep it short, get Sabalenka moving. It, it it really is the most fascinating contrast of styles. But if if Stuttgart was anything to go by, when Sabalenka was playing well, not even Barty could handle that. Um, and I, I'm really shocked by how well Sabalenka is is playing. I I've, I've said before, I sometimes find her a tough watch because you just don't know what you're going to get. There's so little rhythm with with her matches, but. I'm loving watching her this week. I'm confident every time she steps on the court that she's going to be amazing. And I've not felt that way about Sabalenka perhaps ever. Yeah, I think it, it does feel like she's doing something different, more consistent this week and in Stuttgart. And frankly, throughout the whole year, she's been excellent. It took a, took a brilliant, brilliant performance from Serena Williams at the Australian Open to beat her. So that's a very long-winded way of saying... I think I would have picked Barty at the start of the week over Sabalenka, but just based on what I'm seeing, these conditions, I'm starting to lean towards Sabalenka. She's playing like someone who's been denied her rightful slice of cake. Hmm. Put it that way. And that is a heck of an incentive. <laughs> <laughs> what a great analogy. I love it. Um, the, well, she, the well, to... it's, it's not an analogy, David. It's a truth. <laughs> it's a truth. <laughs> Of course, I forgot the cake. You thought, I was actually. You thought. <laughs> I was thinking. I was just thinking how how I feel if somebody doesn't give me a piece of cake. Okay, do you think that was like a saying? That... No, I was thinking that yes, I must say if I uh, I'm not given a slice of cake that I think I deserve <laughs> or I want, I can I can lose it a bit, and then then the penny dropped that yes. Carlos Alcaraz was given his 18th birthday cake in raptures with a nice presentation from Feliciano Lopez and a photo shoot with Rafael Nadal who just beat him into the living daylights of next week. Um, and uh, and Irina Sabalenka, whose birthday was on the same day, got absolutely diddly squat. And yeah, who knows whether she was annoyed or not, but a great one. Matt, I like it. Got there in the end. <laughs> we got there in um, the end, yeah. <laughs> head to head, head to head news, folks. Uh, 4-3 in the favour of Barty so far between these two. And that's been turned around in the last few weeks because they also played in Miami as well as the Stuttgart final. So Barty has had her number recently, for sure. Mm. 
Yes, that's right. Um, the first match I ever saw Irina Sabalenka play was against Ash Barty. And it was in Australia, the Australian Open first round of 2018. And I remember it vividly because Sabalenka won the first set 7-6. And during the match, she was so loud that the crowd started laughing a lot. Like, it was because it was absurd. Uh, I mean, you, she's she makes a lot of noise now, but it was nothing like it was back then. And uh, and Barty started to laugh as well. It was just one of those. It was just nobody had ever heard anything like it. And uh, and actually, I, th- I think Sabalenka probably became a little bit inhibited as the match went on as a result of it. She ended up losing it in in three sets. Um, but uh, but that's that's a couple of times now out of their seven meetings that Barty has come back from a set down to beat her. She won in three sets as well in Miami recently, uh, seven, six, second set won by Sabalenka. Um, but I, I've watched a lot of Sabalenka play over the last couple of years because I've commentated on her matches. And, and I think back to what I've seen from her in Wuhan when she's won that title in Wuhan in fast conditions. And that's the only comparison I have to what we're seeing right now in terms of her own game. And the only other player I've seen play like this is Serena Williams when she was dominant, when she was, when she would come out against players like, I don't know, Barbara Stritzova or Carlos Suarez Navarro and, and just knock them off the court so that they couldn't play their games at all. It didn't matter what strokes Suarez Navarro had slices and top spins and all, all these nice angles just brute power was knocking her off the court. And so far in the rivalry, Barty has been able to find a way to live with it, to, to, to win four of those seven matches. But not in Wuhan. It was a straight sets win for, for Sabalenka. And I think Sabalenka will win this final. I think she is playing, yeah, I think she's playing Serena Williams-like tennis at her best. And I think that, that that it doesn't get much loftier praise than that. Yeah, David, look, I, I agree about the tennis that Sabalenka is playing. I mean, she was taking my breath away this evening with that performance against Pavlyuchenkova. She made Pavlyuchenkova look, well, you used the word puny, didn't you? It looked, it looked pathetic. Pavlyuchenkova's power-hitting game at times. It was, it was stunning, absolutely stunning. And my head was saying, this is unplayable. Assuming she plays this kind of tennis, and as as Matt was saying, and I entirely agree, I suddenly have confidence that she will produce this kind of tennis. She seems to be comfortably in the zone rather than sort of on the edge Mm. of the zone, as she so often is. My head was saying, if she plays this kind of tennis, no one can beat her. No one. But then I do remember thinking that when she beat Simona Halep in the Stuttgart semi-final, I was pretty blown away by that performance. And it was very, very close in the final against Barty, but Barty still had her measure. But she was injured. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I don't feel confident about a Barty prediction but I am giving you a Barty prediction. I just think she asks questions no one else can or does at the moment. Mm. Yeah, she certainly does. I th- I just think Sabalenka, I feel quite confident that she will answer them, but we'll see. It's really great that they're meeting regularly. I love that. And yeah. and it's because mm. you you get to compare to the previous matches and you have something to go on and you feel like a rivalry is building here. And it's not necessarily the one I was expecting at the start of this season. I think mm. I was looking more at Osaka and Andrescu and Sviontek, but it really feels like Barty this whole season has been reminding everyone that she's the number one. And Sabalenka is reminding everyone that she has this what is it? Mary Quiller says warrior princess tennis in her. And <laughs> it, it's fascinating. Imagine if she goes into the French Open as the Madrid champion, having never been beyond. Well, she 
what round did Serena beat her Four. the Australian this year? Four, having never been past the fourth round of a slam. Mm. It, it, she's it, a she's it, a fascinating case at the moment. She is also because she's always looked so uncomfortable to me on clay. Mm. I watched her a couple of years ago playing in places like Rome and and Roland Garros and. and she was barely competitive because she was still trying to hit the living daylights out of the ball, but she was she was so off balance all the time. She she looked like she was on roller skates or something <laughs> when she's trying to play tennis. And um now she doesn't look like that at all. She looks balanced and and now this that may be a Madrid thing, although obviously she reached the final in Stuttgart as well. I'm very interested to see how she gets on on what I would call a proper clay court in Rome, for instance. Um, I, I always think of that as a as the real hey, Medvedev clay. of you, David. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Doing> bashing Madrid's <laughs> surface. <laughs> I mean, uh, from what I understand, it is at, it is at least now a permanent clay court, whereas it used to be. You know, we we know what happened when they brought in the blue clay and all that sort of stuff. But it, oh, it's. Da- I tell you what, Daniela Hantikova on Prime is still is still complaining about blue clay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Every everybody it? in the tennis world, apart from Roger Federer, is still angry about blue clay. I loved it. I know, I know. Lots of viewers did, but the players, Federer aside, they are they're, they're still holding a grudge. <laughs> so, what's Daniela's beef? Well, the same as everybody else, uh, which was very vocally expressed at the time that it was incredibly slippery and impossible to get any kind of purchase. So, this is the thing: the Rome clay looks like it's been there for centuries. And it feels like if you drilled down into it, you could never reach the end. It's just clay. I tell you what, my hydrogeologist father will will take some issue <laughs> geologically with what you've just said. Expect a forwarded WhatsApp message in the next 24 hours, <laughs> David, to put it that way. I look forward to it. I probably won't <laughs> understand it, but I will look forward to it. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, we got that final to look forward to on I've got to wait till Saturday. What do you think, Matt? Who's going to win then? Well, I think I'm slightly leaning towards Sabalenka, but isn't it interesting how we're spending more time talking about Sabalenka? I think that's that's sort of the effect that Ash Barty has. She's so quietly brilliant that you can really get sucked into being sort of drawn to her opponent, I think, in some ways. But then Barty reminds you of just how good she is. I mean, I used the phrase on Twitter today, another week, another final, fresh Barty. And that that seems so blasé. But actually, there's so much work gone into this consistency that Barty's producing. And I think her own exterior can make you think that because she is quiet and she seems to take it all in her stride. But this is a seriously, seriously impressive run of form she's putting together at the moment mm. and and she gives you the impression that you know oh if i don't win it's fine you know mm. but she's not another week that, next really. week we'll move on and it makes me think about what the way the way greg rosetsky talks about pat rafter who he lost to in the 1997 us open final and and it chimes with with my experience of pat rafter in particular during the tennis relived interview i did with him for uh, during Wimbledon last year or for for Wimbledon last year about the 2001 Wimbledon final which is Pat is a lovely guy he absolutely is a lovely guy none of that loveliness is disingenuous the loveliness that he's famous for but he also had you know Greg talks about this edge that he had about him on a tennis court, off a tennis court, just it, the tennis portion of his mind wasn't lovely. It was hard and ambitious and desperate and raw. Mm. Um, and those two things were able to coexist somehow. And and I I don't know Ash Barty and, and she can seem unknowable in interviews, but you don't get that good and achieve what she's achieving without that edge fangs fangs 
And, uh, and both yeah, of their I, I think that comparison are, exists. Are designed to just discomfort you, to make you uncomfortable mm. at the other end of the court, rush mm. you in Rafter's case and swarm all over you. Um, and in Barty's case, but I think put you off balance a mm. lot of the time. I think that's one of the big challenges for Sabalenka is it's like boxers. Can you throw a big punch if you're off balance, if you're on one foot? Um, the, that- the other, just one last point on it to make the case for Barty. And should reiterate, I really don't feel as confident about it as I'm perhaps sounding. But she was absolutely pummeling. Uh, Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova tonight. I mean, just almost embarrassing for Pavlyuchenkova, or perhaps not embarrassing because it was clearly nothing to do with her. But, but you know, a, a horrifying night for her. And then there was this wobble. There was a wobble of two or three games from Sabalenka where she just went completely off the boil. Um, and and she did finally get over the line six six three, I think, in the second set, but. It looked like a nailed on six love second set for a long for a long time. Like you were just watching her going, How is she even gonna lose a point, let alone lose a lose a game? And that that wobble was was definitely caused by her dropping her level a bit. And that will probably if she does get into that kind of position against Barty, be amplified because it's a final and it'd be on the cusp of a title and Barty is in the habit of winning titles and Sabalenka is not yet in the habit of winning titles. And I do I do just wonder if it is a really nip and tuck final, which I really think it could be, whether that, that could be a thing. But I don't know. It'll be great. Mm. It'll be great, whatever. Certainly a strong argument, I think. You know, I think that makes certainly makes sense. Doesn't change my view, but I I, I think that's certainly possible. Um she the other thing that strikes me when, when she gives those interviews at the end, Barty, is that she's just killing with kindness. She's she's so nice about her opponent's game and I think she's so genuine about it and she enjoys the battle, but she's just taken them to the cleaners, basically. It it's a very uh Nadal handing out a birthday cake after a a six one six two beating energy, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Uh, and telling everybody what they're going to be in years to yeah. come. He's gonna be great, but not today. No. Um, well, we'll look forward to that. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. 
in the men's draw, actually something that struck me today, that just a mild comparison to what I think I'm expecting will happen in the women's final is what happened between Zverev and Evans today. Alexander Zverev beating Dan Evans, I think 6-3, 7-6, very close second set. Evans really bringing his variety and his subtlety and and, it, and his serve and volley game and, and to, to some great effect, but not quite having enough to, to live with the power in the end uh, as Zverev. And I mean, I think Sabalenka is a better player than Zverev, uh, relatively speaking, personally. Um, but it's it's an intriguing lineup this this quarterfinal um, lineup. What was the result of the day over the last day or two? Do you think what stands out? Because I mean we've had some had some upsets, haven't we? I mean today we had uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas going out, which I don't think many of us would have expected. Um, we've had the return of Dominic Team, um, who looks pretty good. What stood out? I mean. I shouldn't say this because I didn't see a ball of it, but Bublik beat Karatsev today. And that surprised <laughs> me a lot because I'd, I had re- very recently filed Karatsev away in the category of, well, he'll just win and at least get to the quarterfinal. And then, you know, then we'll see. Um, and I know Bublik is a, is a completely reformed tennis player this year. He is somebody that, routinely wins a lot of matches but I I definitely didn't think he'd win that match um but I, I didn't see any of it so I don't know I don't know how it happened I hope that underarm serves were involved I was also not watching that match I was watching Dominic team at the time <laughs> but from what I can gather it was it was disappointingly drama free and it was actually oh. quite a quite a routine win for Bublik but as you say that's that's perhaps what he's managed to achieve this year some some more consistency amid the madness and it's and it's delivering a lot of wins for him um i think for me the story of this men's draw is that a lot of the players who've been winning a lot of matches this year public aside have lost it, it it's almost like perhaps there's some sort of wall that they've all hit i'm thinking sitsipas is out rublev's out sinner's out medvedev's out her catch is mm. out. Karatsev is out. Those guys have been so consistent all season. And now we've got instead Kasparud, Berrettini, even Zverev hasn't been that much of a factor this year. Team hasn't been much of a factor. Nadal has played sparingly other than on the clay. And it, it just feels like there's a group of players in this quarterfinals who are just a bit fresher than those names I've just mentioned. Mm. That's a very good point, actually. I mean, I was somewhat remove Medvedev from that list because I think he's got he's got other stuff. Oh, we going have to on. talk about Medvedev. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get we'll get on to him in a minute. You, you mentioned um, Matt the match that was occupying your attention instead of Bublik against Karatsev, and that was the dominant team against Alex Dimonor match, which we were furiously exchanging messages about because it was just so wondrous that first set, wasn't it? Because Dimonor was, I I love watching him do this. He was letting team wind up on these massive powerful fizzing looping ground strokes and just plonking his feet on the baseline and saying i am not moving and anyone that comes anywhere near me i'm going to half folly if i have to and he was just doing that and then he would spot one that was half an inch short smack it run like roadrunner to the net all those flailing arms and legs and then try and knock off a volley and he was and he got himself to set point and of course, Dominic team goes and saves set point with the most glorious one-handed backhand on the line you've ever seen in your life to win the set. It was just gasp-inducing stuff, wasn't it? It was one of those where lots of noises were coming from people when they were watching it. <laughs> Certainly in my room, they were. Yeah, it was. It was really, really great, and I was I was surprised by how close it was. I thought that was a bit of a mismatch on clay. Dumanor, who is not an ex- not an experienced clay court player, team with those big, heavy topspin shots. I thought he would probably crush him. So it's a, it's a real, as you say, a credit to what Dumanor was was doing to take the ball early and try and rush rush team. But in the end, I think it was a pretty perfect match for team. And I think he said that in his post match interview. You know, he needs rhythm. He needs to hit a lot of balls to shake off a bit of rust. And sort of just 
build for Roland Garros. I, I really do think he's using Madrid and Rome to just get in 100% shape for Roland Garros. And he likes the conditions in Madrid. So with that sort of slightly more carefree attitude, I think I think he remains very, very dangerous. Hmm. He now faces John Isner, Dominic team. And if somebody had told me that John Isner would be in the quarterfinals of this tournament, I really would not have expected that. And I mean, for a side, one thing aside is the, the sheer size of the guy moving around a clay court, a pretty slippery clay court, six foot 10, uh, beat Andre Rublev today. I really didn't think he would see that through when Rublev started to come back at him. Um, and the other thing that re- I wasn't quite aware of, it's passed me by that John Isner is 36 years of age now. Um, which I remember when he was coming out of college and playing Federer about, but it's about 14 years ago. So it's, it's not actually that surprising when you think about it. Um, but it's, it's an interesting lineup, isn't it? You've got Nadal who, who won through today very comfortably in the end against, um, Popperin, Alexi Popperin of, of Australia. So it's Nadal against Verev and then winner to play team or Isner. In that uh, in that section of the draw, team and isn't it? I mean, any shocks, folks? Do we think there? Well, I know that uh, everyone in in the Prime Video studio, all the pundits, uh, felt that Dominic Team would have rather played Andre Rublev than John Isner. Oh, really? Um, Why is that? I mean, in these conditions, John Isner's serve is a problem for anybody. Um, it, it, you, it, it's a, it's a lot. I think it's going to be a lottery, even for for Dominic Team. Really, it's going to there will be tie breaks in that match. Doesn't strike me as a return. I can't, I can't believe there either. won't be. Who who? Team you know, Dominic Team. No a natural service return of big. No, big I, I mean this is John Isner's third quarter final in Madrid. He actually he's had some. He's had decent results. I remember he was the guy that beat Kyrgios after Kyrgios beat Federer in Madrid. You know, he's it, the the altitude definitely helps him. He likes it there. He knows that it knows that it helps his game. He's one of those that could have gone on Matt's list as being a bit fresher. Mm. I think he didn't go down to Australia. He's got less canister miles on the clock this year, um, and. <sighs> I think 36 is different for somebody with the type of game that John Isner has than it is for, you know, a roadrunner type type tennis player. So, and again, everybody on in in the Prime Studio seemed to think he would play well into his 40s, provided he provided he wanted to. Well, Karlovich has, hasn't he? Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. Going. So, look, I, I think I think Dominic Team's going to win. Um, I think I'd underestimated. Forty-two is it? <laughs> I'd underestimated how bigger, bigger deal it was for team to be fresh, to have had that time off. I'd sort of counterbalanced it in my mind with, oh, but he's kind of starting the race late in the clay court season and isn't in the groove that some of them will be in. But actually, I think most of most of that is counteracted by how gloriously unusual it must feel for him to be fresh. Mm. When was the last time you think Dominic Team felt actually fresh? And he said that he wants to do that more. I think he had a sort of epiphany, I think, in those in that mm. month, six weeks he took off and realised that he doesn't have to play every single week. And he, he said he does feel so much better and he was he was bursting with energy to get back on the match court. And you've seen that in his first first two matches here in Madrid. Um, yeah, I think he'll probably beat Isner, but it's the nightmare conditions to play Isner because I actually think he likes clay. He likes it a bit mm. slower, gives him a bit more time. In that in that tie break against Rublev, he was able to get round some returns, and it, as long as he connects with one or two, he gets the mini break, and then he can hold his serve. I mean, he's an absolute nightmare to play against, and that was his ninety ninth career deciding set tie break about one in <laughs> about amazing. one in every seven matches goes to a deciding he's set played them tie back break. to back now mm. he beat Bautista Agut in a deciding set tie break and you t- usually 
And much goes to a deciding t- set tiebreak. You're hyping it up and going, oh, crikey, this, you know, this unicorn of a match. But you just sort of come to expect it mm. with John Isner. Like, oh, deciding set tiebreak, great, here we go. <laughs> Um, yeah, I do think he profits from playing young, inexperienced, slightly naive players. Um, you know, Andre Rublev did not deal well today with just having to walk from side to side whilst John Isner aced him. And I, I hard relate to that. It there looks, are not too many around. It looks flipping days, awful, there? but you know, his racket, his racket didn't enjoy today. But I think, I think Dominic team will, um, keep his head about him a bit more. Hmm. Yeah, you would think so. So that's the uh, top half of the draw. Then it is Kasper Ruud against Alexander Bublik. And right at the bottom there, Matteo Berrettini against Christian Garin, who defeated today Daniel Medvedev, who was a bit grouchy, Catherine. Um, could you relate to us what he was saying? Oh, well, no, I can't. I only know... I only know- from uh, well, I I haven't watched. Okay, full confession, <laughs> I haven't actually watched the whole match. I I just looked up the aggro highlights <laughs> <laughs> without any context at all. So actually, <laughs> I'd no quite, context, Medvedev. No oh, context, that's Medvedev. Yeah. Waiting to happen. Um, so actually, I'd quite like Matt or either of you to explain to me the full story in all its illustrious colour detail. Yeah, you do the impersonations. <laughs> oh, that's what you were getting at. Right. Well, okay. I missed today's aggro because I went to vote at the precise moment where aggro started happening in, Med- in Medvedev's match. But I saw all of it in his first match against Davidovich Fakina, where I just decided that Medvedev on clay is going to be completely entertaining. In the same way that Osaka <laughs> on clay is going to be fascinating, Medvedev on clay is going to be a hoot. I mean, genu- genuinely, <laughs> I'm watching all of his matches on clay from here on because he posed a sort of philosophical question about damaging the court. He started swiping the court with his racket. And the umpire said, could you not do that? You'll damage the court. And he said, I can't damage the court. It's clay. It's already a bad surface. <laughs> it's quite... <laughs> The umpire didn't really know what to say to that. It's quite smart. <laughs> yeah, it was it was Medvedev's sarcasm at its absolute best, and that is that and is the sweet spot. He wrote "I love Clay" yes. on the camera, <laughs> which was so good. That's the thing. These days, he seems he has got his aggro into the sweet spot, hasn't he? Because it's not the the real unpleasantness and savoury aggro that we saw several years ago before mm. US Open gate. The, these days, ever since the US Open, he seems to have just fallen in that perfect pitch of being able to just amuse and occasionally just be out of order, but kind of not really turn your stomach. Um Yeah. Yeah, but he's out. <laughs> so, <laughs> what was the aggro today, Rubbish. David? You said it involved some someone in the crowd. I think. Yeah, there was somebody in the crowd. I thought at first it was Garin's support team, and it turns out it's just two blokes. Just two blokes <laughs> who sat there watching. Two <laughs> just two blokes sat there. He didn't like it. He just turned around to them, and I don't know what they'd done to annoy him, but he was just he was in their face. He was I couldn't hear what he was saying, but he's in their face, and then he eventually got a code violation for unsportsmanlike conduct. Um, and then the umpire was ex- he, he protested when he sat down at the changeover, and the umpire was saying, "Look, I had to give you that." And he goes, "I know you had to give it, give me that, but you know, I mean, you've got it." It was kind of like you've got to agree, though they are complete so and so's, aren't they? And and he goes, I, "He goes, I, I hope they haven't got enough money to watch the next match." Um, so, so it's just been really childish. Mate, there's no next match. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, anyway, he got beaten by Christian Green, who just got on with it, really, and, and is, is proper clay quarter, isn't he? He's quite happy to just duke it out, loop top spin shots back and forth. But I think Matteo Berrettini is coming on strong. We, were, we had a little chat this afternoon about how he has sort of won us all over. Um, I don't know, and I think it's, I think it's him as a human being, really, that has won me over in in recent months. I just like his disposition. I think he seems like a really nice fella, and 
I think he's trying his hardest to improve and get better. He's got a couple of drawbacks to his game, weak spots, and he's trying to do as Mary Carrillo says: you've got to cover, you've got to cover them. How many you've got to defend your weaknesses and develop a strength? Well, he's got he's got both really, and he's got a hell of an attitude as well, good attitude. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Berrettini will take out Green. What, what, what do you two think? Yes, I think so too. I think so. Um, I, I, I Green will give him a run for his money, but I think Berrettini will um, will outgun him. He's he's got the greater weight of shot, and yes, he's he's got the weakness on the backhand side, but it is only a relative weakness. He's improved the backhand, um, and I also. I don't know whether he's massively improved it or whether I just underrated it previously, but his movement is really good, really, really good. Um, and that enables him to do the Mary Carrillo thing of of covering up his weakness, of defending his weakness. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been really impressed by him. I had previously, my my only experience of interviewing him was at the um the O2 the the tour finals uh back in 2019 the year he had got there by virtue mostly of the ranking points he gained from reaching the US Open semi-final of course other results as well but that was the one the one standout and i thought he was completely charming really nice but as soon as I interviewed him, I kind of knew he wasn't going to win any matches because he was just so pleased to be there. And that was completely charming. I thought, I would thought, well, you know, you seem lovely, but you're probably not going <laughs> to, probably not going to win anything here because that, that's not the attitude, son. If I was his coach, I would say, come on, mate. Um, and yeah, he, he was, he was lacking in fangs that week. And I, I think I have have had questioned his fangs since then, but maybe, maybe I was too quick to take his fangs away. Maybe he's got bigger fangs than I thought, or maybe he's developing those fangs. I don't yes. know, but he's showing developing. me something that I had underrated previously. Agreed. Um, somebody tell me what has happened in Stefanos Tsitsipas's defeat, because I didn't watch it. You didn't watch your man, David. There's a big week for the Kasparud's going to cause people problems brigade. I I think it was actually Kasparud's going to win everything <laughs> uh, this clay court season. Um, well, he was great. I mean, he was really, really relentlessly good it's, it's, it's kind of how I end up feeling about him, because he just keeps coming at you with that top spin forehand point after point and he had a he had a determination to him that was slightly missing from Sitsipas today understandably so he's played a lot of tennis we know he takes defeats hard and that was a that was a tough defeat he took in the Barcelona final I think perhaps that first round match he played here against Benoit Paire covered up for the fact that maybe he wasn't quite in the right physical, mental, emotional space to really dig deep in Madrid this week. And it, it just seemed like Rude wanted it more. And I don't have any concerns about what it means for Sitsipas's game. I think there, I think he's shown a, an incredible desire in so many matches. I think this was just some, some fatigue and Rude took advantage of that. But he also played brilliantly. He hasn't faced a break point in the whole tournament to hold serve so comfortably against Sitsipas on a clay court shows you how well Rude's playing. He is he's probably my favourite to reach the final from that yeah. from that bottom half. Mm, the Dal Rude final. Yeah. He's um he's like David Ferrer but with a bigger forehand. It's gonna be very interesting. Okay. Uh well we'll we'll look forward to a fascinating quarterfinals day on Prime Video. If you're watching in the UK, you can watch Catherine present telly. Never gets old for Matt and me. We just <laughs> sit there 
comparing notes. Look, she's on the telly. Look. Uh, anyway, um, so that's all happening from tomorrow. Um, we had a, a couple of bits of news today or over the last couple of days. And after covering her career for well over a decade, I think I have just discovered that I've spent her entire career pronouncing her name incorrectly. And uh, because I've played it on the, uh, the WTA websites today, just to check. And Barbora Strakova is oh, not somebody I've been referring to over the last uh, 10 years. And in fact, Hang on, David, even you've mispronounced it, it on this earlier. podcast. Correct. In this podcast, <laughs> I said it and then I thought, I've said that wrong, but I've said it now. Uh, so I'll correct it later when I announce her or confirm her retirement oh. on the actual podcast. This is all a bit after the Lord Mayor's show. <laughs> yes. So Barbara Strikova, Barbara Strikova <laughs> has oh, retired. I can't even say her first name. I, I am three quarters of the way through a single beer. So, you know, if that helps. Um, yeah. So we wish her a very happy retirement. She was a doubles world number one, uh, top 20 singles player. She won two singles titles in Quebec and Linz and part of three Czech Fed Cup winning teams. Um, won a bronze at the Rio Olympics with Lucy Safarova. And uh, she fits in to the Daniel Medvedev school of aggro that I like. She's the sort of player who just gets into a finger-wagging contest or um, suddenly shrieks and has a go at somebody out of the blue. And and it's and it just makes you smile, makes you laugh. There have been so many of those in her career. Um, but she always just puts it all out there and is not is happy to mix up a game because she's often overpowered. She's smaller than a lot of the opponents. But I don't know. I will, I will always think fondly of matches involving... Barbara Strickover, even if I couldn't get a name right. I I'm in mourning for the Shay Strickover um doubles partnership. Yes. yes. Hasn't mm. she said she's hoping for one more match, I believe. Some sort of send off in front of fans. One opportunity for everyone to pronounce her name right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, she always seemed like a great spirit and mm. just just a, a great talker, a great person to have on the tour. It's not an obituary, Matt. Keep it light. <laughs> <laughs> and and I remember her run to the Wimbledon semi-finals a couple of years ago mm. where I think everyone was penciling in Joe Conta and how am I saying her name? Strikova? No. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, Strikova. Just really showed what she's about what, that day. What a what a beautiful <laughs> tribute this is. <laughs> she, she she said afterwards, "I never planned to end my career during a pandemic." <laughs> <laughs> That's the best line ever. <laughs> However, some moments in life just can't be planned, and I'm super excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear and i'm super excited for my next role as a mom because she's pregnant so congratulations to barbora strickova and happy retirement uh right a couple of other bits of news if uh, Catherine can handle it um one is a very good bit of news in that Billie Jean King has today been honored by laureus with a lifetime achievement award uh, which is fantastic news. So congratulations to uh, Billie Jean King. Um, and uh, one not so good bit of news is that the Billie Jean King Cup, which was due to be held in Budapest, is now not going to be held in Budapest. And the ITF have basically cancelled their hosting of the event, taken it back and decided they're going to need to go elsewhere. Um, it turns out, I think, Catherine, that... Um, Budapest just turned around and said, look, we we don't think we can host this thing safely. Uh, and they said that pretty much out of the blue, which leaves the ITF, the Billie Jean King Cup, in a real spot. Oh, goodness, yeah, a, a terrible spot. Um, yeah, you do get the impression from the ITF statement that, that they were rather blindsided by this. Um, 
and you know the the timing of the decision leaves options not a plenty potentially um i hope that one option on the table is a combined david law suggested world cup combined men's and women's billy jean davis cup could just call it the david cup billy jean david the- <laughs> yeah could, well, what was your suggestion there david could just call it the david cup right okay you could just call it the david cup um i mean i would nice just say call, call call the whole thing the billy jean king cup because you're gonna say call the whole thing off <laughs> the men the men should be so lucky to have uh their cup named after Hey, if it's good enough for my dog, then it's good enough for a well, men's cup. Um, yeah. But yeah, look, I, I feel for them. I look, I think there'd be plenty of nations willing to put their hat in the ring to host the thing. I doubt that's a problem. It's the money. It's the money that Budapest were, were stumping up for this thing. You know, there was a lot of lot of government money involved um and I, I suspect that is going to be the problem um i mean it'd be a problem any time but in a pandemic yeah it it i really feel for them uh, especially as they've made such a thing and rightly and wonderfully so of the money matching that of the davis cup um yeah i honestly have no idea which way it's going to go but um no. i hope it's salvageable yeah fingers crossed um so yeah sad note to be ending this show on but uh hopefully there's some better news in the future for that um that event uh we do have a lovely mascot this week molly a, a yellow labrador who i think is owned by louise is that right that is correct yes all right all right louise uh and hello molly uh and Catherine's sponsored by zeus i love mm-hmm. saying that name uh Matt by Scouse or Mersel. Me by Rogue. And Rogue, I'm telling you, it's our week, baby. We're going to win big. <laughs> well, it's not anyone else's week. so Marina Sabalenka. Somebody's got Bartu, who's that? Daryl. No, no one. Oh, is it? Oh. Which, which, which I should have said is another reason why I think Sabalenka will win, because Daryl always picks the losing finalist. Oh, good. There's very, That's a tradition I would Matt like to Bartu carry on. Win. He'll get very few points for it because she was a, a heavy favourite. Yes. Yeah, 30 points, I believe. Uh, Chris Albert Lee is a top bloke. We've got no Chris Albert Lee news for you Chris Albert Lee fans, I'm afraid, folks. So we'll we'll try again next week. Um, have we got any shout-outs? Of course. For Jennifer Amadeo. Oh, no. wow. Right, Jennifer. Yeah. Thanks so, wow. so much for your support, Jennifer. Where'd you get your surname from? Brilliant. Um, yeah. I, I have a friend of a friend called Amadeo, and I've always been envious of that name i would love a name like that anyway matt who else we got we have sylvia guidara god this is just the best week ever for names (laughs) that's a corker as well right sylvia thanks a lot sylvia guitar not guitara or guidara with a d guidara with a d but a little bit like guitar Mm. We've got the best mm. listeners. Who else we got, Matt? We have Donna Parker. All right, Donna. Donna Parker. Like Peter Parker, who Same, was Spider-Man. Like Scott Parker. I was going to say, yes. <laughs> I was going to go Donna Summer. <laughs> <laughs> Things you didn't think you would hear today on the tennis podcast. Or if we're going tennis, we could go Donna Kelso, WTA supervisor. Or Vekic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear what a funny old show uh right and on that note uh we'll be back with another edition of the tennis podcast Catherine has completely disappeared from the shot <laughs> she's on the floor um and uh, as you can probably hear and we will be back with another edition of the tennis podcast on monday when we will round up with what's happened in madrid and Catherine will try to get up off the floor in time to present live television tomorrow do hope you've enjoyed the show if you have tell all your friends tell anybody you know just tell random people in the street if you haven't enjoyed the show 
to get us anything. <laughs> See you on Monday. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 